real conversations, real women, real stories. Here, you can listen to a collection of stories from women just like you, sharing moments that change their life. We believe that all stories should be celebrated, whether they are the happiest moments of your life, moments that left you feeling lost, or moments where you healed yourself again and again. We are here for all of it. Heal, grow, and connect with us. Welcome to the This Is We podcast. I am very excited to have our next guest here with us. Kim and I have touched paths many times over the last three years, and I'm very excited that she is here with us to share her story. Inspiring and helping others to lead a healthier lifestyle is a passion for body design owner Kim Morrison. Kim is a certified personal trainer, nutrition and wellness specialist, and an older adult fitness pro trainer who has combined her qualifications, industry recognition, and personal enthusiasm to build an award-winning business since 2002. Kim and her team at Body Design are committed to their mission of enhancing their clients' health and well-being to improve their quality of life now and as they age. In her leisure, Kim enjoys downhill skiing, water skiing, hiking, and paddleboarding. Kim is married to Pete, and she is a proud mother, mother-in-law, and Nana to two grandsons and one granddaughter. Kim, welcome. Thank you, Portia. It's, a, it's, it's a, an honor and a thrill to be with you today. I am so excited. I know that we have chatted off camera about your story. So let's dive into it. Share with us why you are here. Well, I, I really wanted to come on board and speak to you today because I was hoping that my story inspires some of your listeners that when faced with adversity and what may seem like insurmountable obstacles, that we do have the inner strength, the capability, the wherewithal, the, the chutzpah, I'm going to put it that way, to deal with it. And yes, our journeys can be filled with lots of ups and downs, but we move forward. And that's part of being human. Uh, I don't know. Do you want me to get into my story right now? Yeah, okay. go right into it. <laughs> so I'm 63 years old. And five years ago in 2018, I was diagnosed with Parkinson's disease. And uh, I was diagnosed in 2000, January 2018. But I, in fact, I had the symptoms of the Parkinson's disease for two years prior to that. I was shocked when I received that diagnosis. I knew something was wrong. I knew something was very wrong. I had been a runner for over 20 years of my life. And I had gotten to a point in my running where I would go out and next thing you know, my left foot would turn over when I was running and I couldn't quite figure out what was happening. It, it, it made me stop running. And then I suddenly noticed other things happening in my, in my life. When I would be in the shower, my left hand wouldn't properly put in the shampoo into my hair. My left arm didn't swing when I watched walk. I actually lost my sense of smell. When I was typing on the keyboard, my left hand kept making mistakes. And anyways, I went to all kinds of specialists. I'd been to a neurologist and I'd been to massage therapists and chiropractors and my doctor and nobody really seemed to know what was going on. And we got a new family doctor actually. And he suggested that I go and get a full gamut of blood work and different things. But he sent me to a new neurologist and it was that neurologist who diagnosed me with, with Parkinson's disease. 
And uh, yeah, life, life all of a sudden gives you an obstacle that you just never would have dreamed possible. Mm -hmm. And when you were going into, you know, having all of these appointments and you had mentioned like Parkinson's disease was not something top of mind. What were you thinking it was? Were you thinking it was just, you know? Well, or- originally, uh, the, the first neurologist that I sa- saw, he thought I had a pinched nerve in my back. So I thought, okay, you know, we can deal with this. That's something mm-hmm. that I've heard of that happening many times before. But and what I did, what I saw happening was things were getting worse. And yet n- nobody seemed to be able to put their finger on it. And it was starting to affect you know, just daily activities in my life. And when I got that final diagnosis, I just remember walking out of the neurologist's office and of course, immediately Googling what is Parkinson's and getting the shock of my life. Because of course, the other thing that happens when you Google things that you're unaware of, you go on YouTube and different things and there's there's good stuff on the on the internet and then there is very poor things on the internet. And of course, I saw some of the very poor things that scared the bejesus right out of me. And I started doing research and I started to find out really what this disease entailed for me, not necessarily for me at that point, but my future. It's a chronic disease. There is no cure for it. It is a neurodegenerative disease that affects my brain. And what's happening is that my brain is not producing dopamine. And dopamine is what controls your muscle movements. And so I'm, my brain is not producing the dopamine. And well, in fact, there's a, what they're called amyloid plaque, which is building up in my, in my brain that is preventing the dopamine from going to the right parts of my brain. And as I said, it's affecting my movement. So it's progressive. There is no cure. And Right now, there's really, there's treatments, but the treatments are only drugs and the drugs are to help you manage symptoms. That's really, that's all available to anybody that has Parkinson's. Parkinson's is usually something that affects more men than women and is also something considered, most people get it when they're a lot older. You know, you often hear people in their 70s and 80s and and beyond being diagnosed with Parkinson's disease. However, there is definitely early onset Parkinson's, like you, Michael J. Fox. He's mm-hmm. quite a, a spearheader of research and, and public awareness on this particular disease. And I, I, nobody's ever really said I had early onset, but I definitely have had the, it, it hit me earlier in my life than most people would get it. It's now affecting my life where I take pills at six, nine, 12, three, and six o'clock at during the day. So it's five times a day I take pills. I take uh, one and a half pills at each of those times until six o'clock. I take six or no, sorry, four pills. And before bed, before bed, I take another pill. It's as it's progressing, I've had to start to manage the disease a lot better. I'm going to put it that way. When Mm -hmm. it first happened and I went on the levodopa, the, the most common medication that you can be on is called levodopa. When I first went on the med- the levodopa, it really helped me manage my symptoms. I really felt I didn't ha- didn't have a disease. Mm-hmm. I, I I managed my life quite normally. I was able to do um, all my normal activities, and you t- you kind of go into a period of denial. And well, this isn't really happening to me. This isn't something that is really going to affect my life at all. Mm-hmm. And I remember my husband and myself. We we went to a, a number of Parkinson's support groups in Newmarket. 
when I was first diagnosed because I thought, okay, that's, that's what I should be doing, getting my information and, and aligning myself with other people in the same, with the same disease. And I got there and I was completely out of place in the sense mm-hmm. that the majority of the group and people in the group were much older than I was, but most of them, at least half if not more, were in wheelchairs or walkers. Wow. And I went, ooh, okay. I, did, I just didn't feel I belonged. I didn't feel mm-hmm. that this was the group for me. As the disease has progressed, though, I realized now I am going to end up probably certainly in a wheelchair or a walker at some point. That That is very, very apparent to me. And I've gotten to the point now that I have to, the levodopa is, you take the pills, of course, it's absorbed into your blood system. But protein, meaning protein from our foods, affects the lobot, the absorption of the levodopa into your system. So for example, when I take my pills at six o'clock in the morning, I can't have breakfast till 6.30, between 6.30 and 7 in the morning. I have a half hour window where I can eat after taking my pills. But then I have, I have to have eaten two hours before taking the next lot of pills because you have to give the levodopa an opportunity. You have to take the levodopa on an empty stomach, but then you have to give the levodopa an opportunity to, to be absorbed. So I take a pill or pills at six. I eat breakfast between 6.30 and seven. I take pills at nine. I could conceivably eat between 9.30 and 10. I pick, take pills at 12, which means I don't have lunch till 12.30 to 1. Mm-hmm. I take pills at 3. I could eat between 3.30 and 4. And I take pills at 6, which means I can't eat dinner, dinner until after 6.30. It's wow. also now gotten to the point where your body develops, I wouldn't say an immunity to the meds, but your system gets used to the meds. I guess mm-hmm. that's one way. But also the other thing that happens is that as the disease is progressing, your ability, the meds ability to help you starts to decline. So you have what they call wearing off periods. So for example, as I go back to the meds again, I take my pills at six. I will more than likely be showing symptoms of the disease by quarter after eight, eight thirty in the morning, but I can't take the pill till nat, till nine. Mm-hmm. So then I take my pill at nine, but the pill won't necessarily take effect until about nine thirty, quarter to 10. So then boom, I hit a period where I feel good. Then that wears off again, about 45 minutes to a half an hour before the next pill. So that has affected how I exercise because one of the things, one of the best things that they've found so far is that exercise is one of the best things you can do to slow down the progression of the disease. And so it means now that I really can only exercise comfortably at certain times during the day. And I've now found that that's usually seven to eight in the morning or 10 to 11 in the, in the morning or two to, oh, sorry, one till two in the afternoon or four to five in the afternoon. So it, my life, I feel is getting a lot smaller, mm-hmm. a, a, a lot smaller in, in my abilities to be comfortable in, in being able, like just, just before our podcast, I had a client here mm-hmm. and her appointment was booked for 11.45 to 1.45. I was to take a pill at 12. Well, already when she came in, I could feel my left foot going, getting very numb, getting very sore. My left hand was starting to really move. And through most of her training session, I was fighting 
to walk. I was fighting to stay upright and, and be able to kind of carry on without her seeing too much that my left side was completely affected by what was going on because I took my pills at 12, but they did not kick in mm-hmm. until she basically left. Wow. So I want to go back to your schedule in a way. <laughs> it's very much a roller coaster. And it, like you had said, it really narrows you in. It really starts to shrink your day. How do you stay positive? Mm. You know, I was going to ask originally, you know, how did you stay positive with finding your diagnosis? But how do you stay positive just in the everyday? Because that just sitting here, I'm already slightly overwhelmed for you. And so how do you find the strength to get up every single day and be like, we're taken on today? Honestly, I have good days and I have bad days. There are some days where the, my, my symptoms are somewhat overwhelming. It's painful. It's uncomfortable. It makes my day that day. I'm not great a lot of periods throughout the day and then when the pills are doing what they're supposed to be doing I feel great like right now I feel fine because I'm in that period so I stay positive because I have too much to live for I have too much fucking stuff to live for mm-hmm. I consider myself young I've got grandchildren I've got kids I've got friends and I want to be with them and, and enjoy being with them and spend time with them. And I am not going to crawl into a hole and start feeling sorry for myself and let a de- you know depression or anything like that take over because it could be very, very easy to do so. I can see that. I do get scared. I get very scared about what my future may or may not look like. And But I try not to dwell on that by any stretch of the imagination. I don't talk about it a lot. I talk about it with my husband, I'm, but I want to talk about it more. This is why one of the reasons mm-hmm. I want to do this podcast, because I, first of all, want to help educate people about what Parkinson's is all about and, and what it means. But more than that, I want to help others who, whether they have Parkinson's or they have some other chronic disease that prohibits them from maybe leading the life that they want, I want them to know that we can fight these things. We can overcome. We can move forward. I think it's very important that you try to carry on your life as you normally do. I made a decision a long time ago that I wasn't going to quit my work. I love what I do too much. And I'm having said that, though, I'm almost afraid to quit my work, too, because I, I say to myself, this is what keeps me focus. This is what keeps me moving from one day to the next. I enjoy seeing my clients. I enjoy, you know, just working on all the things that I do to keep my business going. And I say to myself, well, if I didn't have that, what would I do? Mm-hmm. And then that's when I start to get fearful that I could let the disease start to become overwhelming at that point. So it keeps me focused on moving forward. Yeah. I'm not sure if I answered that question. I, I think you did. <laughs> I was just getting a ton of chills. Like when you were mentioning everything, I just, I could feel your passion. I could feel that you weren't done, that you still have so much to fight for and so much to do in your life. And it ignited something in me, that's for sure. And I want to talk about when you first found out how it was to go through a grieving period. Often 
We don't tend to talk about when we go through big transitions in our lives, how one, we're losing a component of ourselves and moving into a different component of who we are. But we also have to grieve that at the same time. So tell us what it was like, you know, to grieve yourself after finding out your diagnosis and then kind of the moments afterwards too. Well, first of all, I, there was shock. There was the shock and disbelief. Then I went through quite a period of I wouldn't tell anybody. My, my immediate family was all that knew. My, my friends didn't know. Certainly my work and my clients, they did not know. I kind of went into hiding. Hiding on a, on, I had a secret. Put it that way. I had a secret. And I just carried on my life as if everything was just fine. And then I decided to, I told my team, I told my team, I think about a year after I had received that diagnosis. But the, the big thing that I went through first was denial. Then I went into anger. I find I go through, I, I, I almost feel like I, I grieve every time that I start to see my symptoms get worse because I can't stop what's happening to me. And so you get kind of comfortable where you are. Okay. This is what's, this is how life is for me at this moment in time. But then when I start to see that the meds aren't working as well as they used to, or I start to see that I can't do like, for example, this, this last summer, my goal was to water ski. I've always water skied my life, but I'd hired a, a trainer to help me improve my slalom while water skiing. That was my, my big goal. Well, as it turned out, I couldn't do it. I had an injury, which prohibited that. So this summer I thought, okay, we're going to hire that trainer again. I'm going to do this again. I can't do it. I know I can't. And you're the first person I told that to. I keep saying to myself, yes, you can. Yes, you can. But no, I'm tr- truth be told, I know I can't do it. I can't do it. And so that's a, this is huge sadness for me because these are activities that I've always enjoyed doing. I tried running there a few weeks ago again and I enjoyed it when I was out there. But I do know that I can't do it. I can't do it like I used to. And so I'm losing parts of myself. I'm losing parts of myself that I saw I got enjoyment from before. And there's a great deal of sadness that comes with that. But then I think you have to turn it around. You have to turn it around and say, you know, life is not over. It's not over. It just means that I have to make some accommodations mm-hmm. in my life. I have to seek enjoyment in other places and in, in other ways. Yeah, you, you have to roll with the, I keep saying, I don't want to, I shouldn't swear, but I roll with the fucking punches because that's what you have to do. Mm-hmm. That's resilience. That's resilience. And so anger, sadness, denial, as I said at the beginning, mm-hmm. definitely a lot of denial, acceptance. I think that's a big one. I've accepted, but I get angry. I get angry when I see I'm going into the next phase. And I'm angry because I can't stop it. I, I, I'm a fucking personal trainer. This is what blows my mind. I've been in the movement industry for over 20 years now, helping people move better, helping people feel better when they move, helping people 
you know, deal with their own health issues and things like that through movement and health, healthy lifestyle and nutrition. And here I am, the friggin' irony, irony of the whole thing. And I've got a disease that affects my movement. And one day I will not be able to move, meaning I will be in a walker or a wheelchair. Mm-hmm. And it just seems so freaking ironic to me that this has happened. But I keep saying, and I, I, do I believe in God? Yeah, I do. I believe in God. I believe in a higher power. And I believe that I have been given this for another purpose. This has been, I have been, I have another purpose now in my life and I have to use it and make and help other people with this, with my, my limitations as they are. That's beautiful. I'm, I'm just sitting here in awe and I'm relatively speechless in a way because like you had said, the irony in it is, is mind boggling to me to live a life for many, 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 many years dedicated to health and wellness and movement and, and living life to the fullest and then being diagnosed with a disease that, like you had said, will completely take away your movement is I haven't even, like, I'm having a hard time accepting it in my own mind because I just, in my mind, I'm thinking, how is this so unfair? Like, where's the justice in this? And so that's where you have to, that's where you have to believe in a higher power. Mm -hmm. That, that's where this is beyond me. Mm -hmm. This is beyond, I haven't done anything to create this. That's the one thing about Parkinson's as it is, is, is in a lot of neurological disorders. They don't know what causes it. Mm-hmm. So it's not like I did something deliberately in my childhood or was exposed or anything. They, they, like lot, lots of things, you know, they're suspicious of. Mm-hmm. It's just the luck of the, the draw. Mm-hmm. Uh, what is kind of ironic is that my mom had, she just since early passed away a little while ago. She had dementia, which is another neurological disease or Alzheimer's. My grandmother had it. Her sister had it. My aunt had it. And I had another grandmother die of ALS, which is another neurological wow. disease. So I've been starting to think there may be some connections there that it, 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 there's so much that they don't know about our brains. Yes, they know a lot. Absolutely. You know, medicine has come huge leaps and bounds in the last 50 years, but there's still so much unknown in regards to the brain and how it functions and or doesn't function. And this is, this is a brain issue that, as I said, I have no control over. So that's where, yes, I believe that uh, this is a, this is out of my hands. This is something to do with a higher power. And I have to believe that I've been, this is my now, this is my new purpose now. I, I have, this will breathe new life into me. It's, it's just a switch. And as much as we go along grasping and going, no, 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 I don't want this. Fuck it, you know, it, it, yeah. we're, dealt, we're dealt cards. Deal with mm-hmm. it, move on and make the best of it. And I have to. Mm-hmm. Wow. Um, I want to talk about purpose and we are going to get there. But first I want to talk about losing parts of yourself. Mm-hmm. As we lose parts of ourselves, it's almost like we have these voids within us. And I would love to know how you replaced or filled those voids within yourself when you were losing parts. Well, one thing I've been become very, very curious now about neurological health. And I listen to a ton of podcasts and 
audiobooks about health and wellness and longevity and ways of improving your health as you age. I can't stop what's happening to me, but God damn it, I'm going to do the best that I can to make sure my longevity is as healthy as possible. Although I'm not too happy to read a lot about how wine isn't so good. <laughs> but I, there's the more and more I'm reading lately, the more and more it keeps pointing out that alcohol in any form is not great. And I, yeah, we all know that. Like, you know, you yes. don't, don't drink yourself silly, but shoot, I certainly like the odd glass of wine here and there. It <laughs> takes the edge off shit. But you know, that's when I get kind of mad because I kind of mm-hmm. think, you, could, you, you have Parkinson's <laughs> disease and tell me not to have some wine. If I want to have some wine, I'm going to have some wine. <laughs> you know, that, that's where you go, shit, you know, don't take away everything. But yeah, so education, that's been a big thing is, is trying to arm myself with as much information as possible. The other thing that has become very, very clear to me is how you spend your time. Spend your time with people who mean something to you and you want to spend time with them. I am done wasting my time with people I do not want to have to work with. It was so funny. I've, I've, I have a client. I'm not going to, cannot make names, but I had a client there last summer who I was working with and this person was a great person, but they were a pain in the ass and I'm going to be blunt. And I could have contacted this person again this summer and say, Hey, you ready to come back? And I went, Nope. I'm not. I am not. My life is too freaking short now to spend it on things and people that I don't want to spend it with. So family is now huge to me. And I want to spend my time with my family and I want to spend time with my friends and spend that time doing things that bring joy to both of our lives. Not, you know, it, it just, we li- this is a short life we live. And the older you get, you're, you're a lot younger than I am, but the older you get, the more that becomes relevant. And uh, it's very important to make sure you're spending your time in ways that are, are, are the way that you want to. Mm-hmm. I'm another so- thing, sorry, another thing I'm going to say is that one thing I regret, I didn't travel more. Mm-hmm. I didn't travel more. We, I always had this thing, oh, you know what, I'll travel when, when I get a little bit older, I don't have enough money now, you know, all that kind of stuff. I'm now, my husband and I talked, we talked about it the other day and we went to Italy four years ago, just before the pandemic. We had such an amazing time. It was a trip of a lifetime. And I had no problems on that trip with the Parkinson that, that particular time. Now I'm in the position, if I want to travel, I would have to schedule what we do very, very differently mm-hmm. with regards to my mobility and my ability to be mobile. That's, that's one issue. And also how time changes affect my meds and taking those, those meds right. and my time changes. And then, you know, just even being on a plane, I, I thought of the other day, my, I have a son and daughter-in-law that live in Alberta and I want to go out and see them. And I was sitting there sitting, sitting the other day and I was going, fuck, how am I going to sit in that tiny little seat? And you're sitting there with another person either side of you. Sure, I can sit in the aisle seat, but I still got one person there. And I've got a left foot and a left arm that as the meds start wearing off, I'm starting to move back and forth and I can't control it. And my leg's going to be hitting the other guy's leg or whoever it is. Mm-hmm. And I can't, and I can't stretch it out because, you know, you got the seat in front of you. And then I'm sitting there going, fuck, I got to go go first class now. And, you know, it, it, it's stupid things like that mm-hmm. that I now have to consider. And then I got thinking, 
there's going to come a day when I go to the airport, I'm going to need to have a wheelchair when I get to the airport. You know, mm-hmm. I see those people getting rolled around in the wheelchair and I'm thinking, all right, here I am. Like, it's reality checks like that where you go, mm-hmm. whoa, okay. Yeah. And we're, I'm rambling here a bit, but that's okay. You're allowed to ramble. <laughs> those are things I would, honestly would never have thought of. And okay, I want to just mention the thing of rolling up in the wheelchair in the airport. So my brother, my grandmother has a wheelchair pass in her car and I was down in the city with her and she brought it with me, brought it with her so we could park wherever we needed to because she's, she can't walk very far and, and everything like that. She's 90 now. So, and I think my mom was telling me about it and they're kind of talking down about it in a way like she has this pass and da 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 da. And I got in the car and I was like, did you bring your VIP pass? Like, we need the best parking on the block. Like, look at this guy. He's just telling us where to park. Like, look at us. We are VIP superstars in this parking lot. Look at all those other chumps in the back that have to go park way over there. We're right beside the elevator. Look at us go. And it just kind of took something where she just thought, I'm not mobile anymore. I'm incapable of doing this. I can't walk far distances anymore. And just changed it. And I was like, don't yeah. forget to bring your VIP pass next time yeah. I see you because we need front row seating when we when we drive around yeah. together. That's a very, very good point. You know, just throw the positive on it. Yeah, for sure. You've got to and make light of it. Mm-hmm. Make light of it. Exactly. Yeah. I think that goes back to your question, though, of grief. Mm-hmm. You know, th- those are those are those are reality checks when you sit there and you go, fuck. You know, I, I can't do that anymore. And, and there is sadness that comes with that. And there is longing. And then, and there's like, you know, why me? And, you know, all those. Mm-hmm. And as I said to you before, you can, you can just so quickly go down those rabbit holes. Yeah. And, and get stuck in those rabbit holes. And you can't, you just, you can't let it do, let it do that. Mm-hmm. A question came to mind. I'm going to get to purpose. I keep watching the time and I want to talk about support. Because Parkinson's disease is a big diagnosis. This isn't something like you had said that's treatable, that's manageable every single day. How was it, you know, telling, obviously your husband was there or telling your husband, you know, how was that in the dynamic of your relationship? And even just those that were close to you, were there people that were like, this is too much for me to take on like this? I'm sorry, Kim, I'm going to have to dip out of your life for a little bit. Well, first of all, when I went to the neurologist's office, I was there by myself. So I I got the news by myself because I honestly have no clue that this was going to happen. It was just another doctor's appointment. And, you know, you don't think of things like that. So I remember driving home and and thinking, oh, boy, this is big news. (laughs) And I got to shock the pants off him. But yeah, everybody I told, meaning the kids, my husband, my siblings, it was shock initially for all of them, complete shock. And of course, they all did the same thing I did. Whoop, off to Google, Dr. Google, we go to find out what, what's really going on. Mm-hmm. And my kids were scared. My kids were very scared. All of a sudden, it was, oh my God, all right, you know, what's this going to mean to our mom? And, you know, I, I think, I think for them, it was, they started to question mortality, you know, how long are we going to have mom around? And so therefore they were, they were quite scared. I found the kids became very attentive. Now that's gone away, but no. <laughs> it wears off. <laughs> yeah, exactly. That's it, getting used to it, right? <laughs> but the sad thing about it, and I, this is a bit of an aside, was my mom. My mom had dementia. And of course, when I told her, it meant nothing. 
Mm-hmm. And, you know, those are one of those things where I, I'd so wanted my mom to be able to just take me in her arms and let me cry on her shoulder and, and comfort me. And she couldn't, she couldn't mm-hmm. and didn't, and she didn't understand what was going on. And that was one aspect of this whole thing that my mom never really knew what was going on. So that, that was, that was sad. But other than that, you know, everybody else has been very supportive. I think, you know, initially, as I said, when I got the diagnosis, I didn't tell a lot of people, but then also my symptoms didn't really show at all either. So a lot of people had no, no clue. Now, as the disease is progressing, I know my symptoms are much more visible. I know when people, when I walk, my, my hand tends to move all the time. That's the dyskinesia. And if anybody saw me sitting here now, they'd see my foot going and, you know, I, I just don't have any control over that. Yeah. Mm-hmm. So. Do you find when your medication starts to wear off and mm-hmm. whether you're with a client, because I know you talked about fighting against it, do you ever find that you have, you are justifying it to people? I tell them, you just, I tell them, I tell them. I feel now I'm at a point, my, my business that I have to tell people, I have to disclose mm-hmm. this information. A, you know, it gives them the option of saying, no, they don't want to work with me. I haven't, I haven't had that happen, but Mm -hmm. yeah, there, there may be some people who choose not to work with me and that that's okay. But it also explains my, my, my erratic movements Mm -hmm. because I, you, you can't, you can't be with me for too long without kind of noticing unless you catch me, it was one hour mark. So, you know, where I'm, you know, acting normal, but Mm -hmm. you can't, if you watched me, you would see this. You, well, you know, you know, Parkinson's, mm-hmm. you know what that is. And I, so I have to explain that. I feel I have to explain it. And, and most people, most of my clients, when I've mentioned it to many them, I have quite a number of clients who know people with Parkinson's and my, they all say to me, wow, you're doing so well. And, and that was kind of cool back earlier in the new, in the new year, I guess it was probably in January, February, I had an appointment with my neurologist and uh, she said, Kim, she said, you've been diagnosed for five years now, but she said, you've actually had the disease seven years. And she said, you are doing so well compared to most of my patients. She said, you're just doing amazing. And she said, it's because of your lifestyle. And she said, you know, whatever you're doing, just keep doing it. And she said, most of my clients who've had it for seven years aren't even near where you are. So I'm very grateful for that. I'm very great. You know, despite the irony that I mentioned before, I've got a fucking movement d- disease and yet I'm in the movement business. Thank God I do because mm-hmm. I, I would be not even where I am right now if I hadn't have had that lifestyle already in place. And I'm very grateful. And again, if I can be a role model to others to get moving and to get busy and, you know, even if it's just, you know, going for a short walk during the day or, or taking a dance class or lifting some weights. If I can be a role model to inspire others to, to get, to take their health in their hands and, and improve it. Great. That's, that's, that done, I've done something good. I love that. And I love that you mentioned that about your doctor, because I've been like waiting for a moment to bring it up. So, because we did talk about it off camera or Mm -hmm. off, uh, off the podcast. Mm -hmm. So, I want to come into purpose and re talking about kind of realigning your purpose in a way. I know we chatted off screen about continuing to find your purpose within your life after your diagnosis. How has your purpose shifted since then? 
or is it continuously shifting? I think it's continuously shifting. I think that's a, that's a line that ebbs and flows as, as each day, but also I think with, with each, each year. My purpose, I still want to, as I said to you before, I still want to keep working. I still want to do what I'm doing. Truth be told, I really don't know how much longer I'm going to be able to do this. I, I'm, I'm already starting to think about having to manage my day a bit differently, meaning I'm only going to see clients at certain times during the days to hopefully avoid those wearing off periods where I'm in so much discomfort and whatever. So that's one thing that I'm thinking about doing to kind of think, make things a little bit easier for me. But the other piece of this though is doing things like what I'm doing to you right now mm-hmm. is being public, being public about Parkinson's, being public about chronic illness, being public about movement disorders and being public just in general that, you know, pe- people get, get sick. People have shit happen. And that if I can, as I keep saying, if I can be an insp- a source of inspiration, a, a role model, a beacon for others to sort of say, well, she's carrying on and she's, she's keeping her life moving forward and she's mm-hmm. finding other ways of coping. I can too. I think that's very, very important. You, you, you know, you just, you got to have a, you got to have a, a sense of purpose for getting up in the morning and moving forward and finding joy in your day and finding happiness in your day. And actually it was one of the reasons my husband and I chose to move from Mount Albert. As much as we loved our community, I now live in this, this beautiful setting now where I look at a lake every day and I, I see great peace with that and great comfort with that that view and that there's something about water that is very calming and very relaxing and very de-stressing we live in a community where i'm not we're not battling traffic and it's very it's a quieter community oh my god it's quiet here my god very very quiet and i i love it i absolutely Mm. love it i you know, I, I still go back down to Newmarket, Newmarket usually once a week just to, well, when mom was alive, I, I went down to see her all the time, but now I still go down to do errands and things like that. But as soon as I hit Woodbine and Ravenshoe Road, oh my God, it's like, whoa, where'd all these cars come from? Where is everybody going? Everybody's in such a rush. Mm-hmm. And then, and then it's, and then it's noise and commotion and, and there's an energy. There's such a freaking energy that it can sense all about it. It's this hustle, hustle, bustle. And yeah, that's great. It's great. But at the same time, it's draining. It's mm-hmm. very draining. It's exhausting. And when I get back up here, I just sort of go, oh, okay. Back to my little piece of paradise. Yes, your oasis. Yeah, there's something so healing about water. And I feel like I'm learning that so slowly. Mm-hmm. It's like every time I'm near water, I'm like, oh my God, I feel significantly different right now. And I've mm-hmm. done nothing different <laughs> other than be by water. But I love that. I love that you have your own, you know, beautiful oasis and that you're, you've moved to a space in a, in a town where it's slower. Mm-hmm. And mm-hmm. Mm, I'm so envious. <laughs> there's, but there's negatives to it too. We're that yeah. much further away from healthcare. Mm-hmm. And that that's a bit of a pain in the ass sometimes. But you know what? You deal with that too. Yeah. So yeah. The little gives and the little takes. <laughs> it's ebb and flow. So ebb and flow. flow. Ebb so, and flow. So my last question for you is, I know this is like a huge, big open-ended question, 
But how has your life changed after finding out that you have Parkinson's disease? It's made me really reevaluate how I want to spend my time and, and what my, where my future may or may not go. You know, I, I always thought that I hopefully would live until the ripe old age of, you know, 80s, 90s, who knows? And that because of my lifestyle, I would lead a very healthy aging process. What was I watching on TV last night? It was on Netflix. Jane Fonda and uh, who oh. else? The Four Ladies. Oh, what was that mo- movie? Yes, anyway. I know. It's, it's not the book club. Is it book yes, club? The book it's club. book club. It's book yeah. club. Yeah. yeah, I was watching it there last night. And I was going, darn, I wish I could be one of those ladies. That That's exactly how I envisioned myself was reading the the Fifty Shades of Grey and wanting to go out there and, you know, get, you know, have great sex and all this kind of stuff. I'm going, wow. It's so, you know, that, that's a little bit of a letdown, but mm-hmm. yeah, it, it, uh, yeah, it just, I guess all I can say is my life is going to be different than I had originally envisioned. And, you know, I keep saying you got to find that silver lining. You got to find mm-hmm. that silver lining. And I actually have great health except mm-hmm. for this one thing. Yeah. And uh, hey, I can, it, the one good thing about Parkinson's, you can't die from Parkinson's. Apparently, this is what I read and they tell me. You can die with Parkinson's, but you can't die of Parkinson's. Yes. So that's a good thing to know. <laughs> well, yes, that's a very good thing to know. <laughs> at least I'm not terminal. Exactly. Uh, exactly. Uh, but, well, we're getting a little morbid right now. But <laughs> yeah, it, you know, there's a lot, there's a lot less worse things, I should say. But what was your question again? About, I've lost my track of thought. That's okay. Of thought. How has your life changed? I'm mm-hmm. finding out. Well, as I said, I, I really have made a point of really evaluating how I spend my time, how I spend my time, who I spend it with, and you know what I do with it because it, it, it's so valuable to me now. I still definitely you know, try to have as healthy a lifestyle as possible. I'm still not sure about that wine thing. But I, my jury's out on that one. Anyways, yeah, you gotta, you gotta still have fun in your life. You really mm-hmm. do. Yeah. And uh, has my life changed? No. I was, you know what? My, my son and daughter-in-law, they did something really special that I thought was really cool. They were building a house all last year and they just moved in earlier this year. And they made a special part in their home that if I couldn't live on my own anymore, that they were made, they had made this area where they had an apartment for me. And I said to my son, I said, well, I really appreciate all this thought and energy that you did there, but you're going to have to put a stair lift in because I won't be able to do the stairs. He says, mom, don't you worry. We'll take care of everything, <laughs> right? So, you know, it's kind of weird to have your kids concerned and, and also taking into consideration in their plans how I may what my health may be as, as I get older and how it impacts them, impacts them. I know my other son that lives in Alberta, he's now telling me he's moving back home next year. And and I know one of the reasons is, is because of me, because he wants to be available to help and, and be around. And those, I'm very grateful for that. I'm very grateful for these, these thoughts that they have and these, these intentions that they have for me. That's, very heartwarming to hear these things. Wow. Well, Kim, you have inspired me. You have inspired me to 
live more in the moment and to not take everything for granted. Mm-hmm. And it's like, it's every single thing. Mm-hmm. Because during our conversation, you were putting a lot of things in perspective that I wouldn't even imagine would have been infected by a disease like that. Mm-hmm. Traveling, everything, your entire day, your schedule, your livelihood, it's all being affected. And mm-hmm. you have inspired me. You inspired me with our first conversation. Mm-hmm. and. You continue to inspire me today. I just, I'm so grateful that you decided to share your story with me, with us. I know that it takes a lot of courage and vulnerability to talk about, you know, yourself and how your life is changing at such a rapid rate. And, and thank you. You have no idea. Thank you. You're very welcome. Thank you for having me on board. It was a pleasure. 